0: Hello and welcome to the show. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Babette Tenhaken, sales author, speaker, consultant. And Babette is a leading expert on one of my favorite subject, which is helping technical people become effective salespeople. And she's the author of a great book called Do You Mean Business? Technical, Non-Technical Collaboration, Business Development, and You. You know, there's this increasing duality in the sales field today. You know, there's a broader range of products being sold purely through inside sales models. However, at the same time, business to business customers are being surveyed and say they want to be able to make purchase decisions faster, but they don't feel like salespeople are providing the information and the insights they need in order to make good decisions quickly so we've got this dichotomy right there and Babette's going to help us navigate that and understand how to get the right salespeople to help you accelerate your sales so Babette, welcome to the show
1: thank you I'm glad to be here today
0: so if you could just take a minute and introduce yourself a little bit more and Tell us really how you got started in sales.
1: Oh dear. Um, well, first of all, I'm I'm really as excited to be here today, Andy, as you are to have me on. And um, I'm I'm a management strategist, but I work with teams. Uh, I work with teams on both sides of what I call the sales engineering interface, and uh, I help startups, teams, businesses who are wrestling with unpredictable revenue streams. And I help them become more productive and profitable and healthier organizations. And the reason I got into this, so to speak, is is exactly the same way I got into sales, quite honestly. And it started out early on in my career. Uh, when I was as a scientist, because I'm a scientist is training uh, as, by training, I'm an evolutionary geneticist and a physical anthropologist. So well, I the logical
0: segue to sales, of course.
1: Yes, I mean everybody. And <laughs> I started I was... that
0: way, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I was gregarious as you may not be able to, to, uh, to guess. And I was curious and I asked a lot of questions. And what happened early on in my career, Uh, And the pharmaceutical industry, when I was dumber than a rock, so I figured everybody knew how to do this, was that I started to get invited to C-level meetings to bring clarity to the chaos of stalemated conversations between engineers, sales, IT quality, legal marketing, and the Mm C-suite. And I thought everybody knew how to do this. And in fact, nobody knew how to do it then. And not a lot of people know how to do it now. Uh, but my curiosity and my my willingness to give myself permission to not know stuff and to take risks and identify resources to seek answers to questions and to personally invest in myself, uh, three of those things kind of led me on this path to where I am today and uh, got a... I, I got a lot of training and uh, certifications in a lot of technical areas because I was curious to learn more to help facilitate the conversation, to make it easier. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a fascinating journey. And I think with um, what we're reading a lot about, of course, with change, with the big C, but the thing is, it's it, with change management, but with change leadership, well, that's something I guess that I've been doing for about 25 years, and so uh, yeah, it's my honor to be part to have been a lifelong member of that movement and to be talking to you about
0: it today. So your blog is titled "Sales Aerobics for Engineers."
1: Absolutely,
0: I love the title. So <laughs> tell the audience what that means.
1: Ah, and it kind of that title does a little right brain left brain thing with you, doesn't it?
0: Well, I'm thinking and- of Jane Fonda with a pocket protector. <laughs>
1: Something like that. And, and really what it is, is getting your brain to think on both sides of the business table. There's a really neat saying. It's, it's kind of a product of uh, Japanese management philosophy, but it's depending on where you sit around the table. Everyone sees and hears and speaks about the same thing differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to provide, uh, to focus on excellence in, in creating business outcomes, you really have to be curious and appreciative of the differences between people. And yet, how how many times, Andy, do we see teams and people and groups get polarized because of these differences?
0: Right. Well, and, and to get really to the point is is, you know, there's this myth, this prevailing myth among sales managers, CEOs, business executives in general that You know, technical types, technical people don't have the personality quote in air quotes. You can see me doing air quotes here (laughs) to be a successful salesperson. And why is that still persisting? Because you know, you're talking about curiosity. One of the things that really is so useful to customers when they're beginning this buyer's journey is, yeah, they may have something in their mind about what it is that would be the solution, the best solution. But most buyers are really open. That's really why they talk to salespeople, right? They're open to suggestion. What's a better way for me to understand my problem? What's a better solution for it? And, you know, technical people, by training, as you talked about, tend to be curious. So, why why is this perception still exist that the only valid sales personality traits, really, that you're looking for are these, you know, extroverted, gregarious, hunter type, as opposed to the curious, problem solver, analytical type?
1: Well, What's, what's really interesting is I think that the uh, ups, upside and downside of both salespeople and engineers are actually this, kind of two sides of the same coin, quite honestly. Like, consider engineering or IT um, and how they're trained. And, and I'm one, okay? And as a scientist uh, who uses the scientific method, first of all, we're trained to always have the right answer or to always keep digging find the right answer and when you think of it that's really important because if we don't have the right answer or we we uh, come to conclusions too quickly it can make uh, a mistake like a satellite missing hitting its orbit by a matter of millimeters and that's uh, several billion dollar oops so that's why even if you, if you sit in on technical conversations, everybody's just vetting and validating and they're skeptical and they're constantly asking each other questions. Now, the flip side of it is, is that if you're a sales pe- person sitting in a room full of technical people, okay, and you start hearing them do this and challenge and call each other out, then you want, but basically most, most sales people wanna crawl under the table and assume the fetal position the The point is anticipate this though is is just if as a salesperson so as a salesperson, when you are working with technical decision makers a lot of times, you are so intimidated by the questions that they might ask you that you freeze mm-hmm. and that can derail a sale so um you know i th- I think so it's two sides of the same coin. One of the reasons that engineers or IT people uh, tend to have this misperception that they're not going to be very good salespeople is that uh, they rush to find solutions quickly and they rush to nail down and pinpoint people down towards specifications that they can design against. But when you think about it, Andy, how many sellers... Also rush the sale because somebody said some sort of a trigger phrase mm-hmm. they had exactly. been trained to listen to, and all of a sudden it's like ooh, ooh, it's sort of like squirrel, and all of a sudden
0: <laughs> I love that movie.
1: <laughs> I love that movie. And it's like all of a sudden they're they're rushing off to close that sale when, in fact, both sides of the coin, engineers or salespeople, if you stop to listen and start to ask more questions and bring everybody in, the scope of work could actually be four or five times larger Mm -hmm. than than you narrowed it down to. So um, I I think, you know, quite honestly, it's it's really a question of getting both salespeople as well as technical people to just stop getting excited, (laughs) stop trying to have an answer or sell a solution and start to listen because I my phrase is root crosses have really big contexts
0: yeah yeah well, I think your point is you know salespeople oftentimes you're right they have a trigger word, they look on their list of standard questions and it's like, oh aha, right I mean if they say this, <laughs> then that and but I found that one of the the keys to I mean to me it's I've worked in technical fields most of my career and and I'm not technical myself. And that's really where I sort of became sensitized to this this problem because, you know, it, it, to me it always seemed hugely inefficient to send me out with a, a salesperson glued to my hip or a technical person glued to my hip yes. when I'm going out on sales calls. When It's like, oh, well, one person could do the job of two here. And it seemed like the benefit working with the companies as I was able to attract technical people into sales was that, you know, A, you do start compressing that, that sales cycle in general. Mm-hmm they can help the customers find a better solution more quickly. But the key was getting them to think about selling as a service as opposed to something they impose on the customers. And that's just yes. that, that misconception, again, that exists on the part of so many technical people is uh, the sales guy's out of control, they're selling stuff people don't want.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, absolutely. Um, I I work a lot with startups and entrepreneurs as well. And so it's and, and I teach a couple courses as, as well on, on this to um, innovators. And what's, what's real interesting is uh, when these very, very bright people are charged with calling up potential buyers on the phone, their conversations become almost like a caricature of a salesperson. And, uh, and I think the worst thing in the world you could ask a a technical person to do is sell because they didn't go to school to sell. They went to school to be the smartest person in the room. Well, sometimes the smartest person in the room (laughs) sells, uh, they just have excellence in sales skills and, and they're a lifelong learner in that respect too. Mm -hmm. You know, they're kind of PhD salespeople, uh, but you don't even know that they're selling because it really sounds like an organic and natural conversation. So, and to me, Andy, that's a future of sales anyway, is this hybridized seller.
0: Well, I agree too. You brought up a really interesting point because one of my great frustrations is that so few salespeople are making that self investment mm-hmm. in continuous learning.
1: Absolutely. You know, if
0: you ask a, during an interview process, you know, you ask a uh, candidate, sales candidate, what was the last sales book you read? Yeah, you know, my experience has been that you know ninety percent plus of the cases there's no answer, right? Yeah, I haven't read one, <laughs> let alone I know Jill Conrath talks about you know she likes to ask, what have you read in the last thirty days? Well, yeah, hey, that's even harder to answer, right? Because if they can't answer nine at all, let alone the last thirty days, and I see this as sort of a trend. That's another reason why I'm always a big advocate of getting, as you said, sort of the technical, engineering, IT people in because they are lifelong learners. They know that they need to learn to stay abreast of all the developments in their field. But the sad thing is, sales no different. I mean, sales is changing so rapidly. Salespeople should have that same motivation.
1: Absolutely. To I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I see the same problem. Um, there, are, uh, there are people or seller, There are sellers out there that are waiting for their companies to invest in themselves to the point where they can't pay $20 for a book,
0: you know? Yeah, well, they think it's, it's the company's responsibility, and yes. and it's really not these days.
1: Uh-uh. Absolutely not at all. And, I, and that's kind of one of the things even I brought out with Do You Mean Business with my book, and, and I think we all say something similar in our writings, is that if you don't take yourself seriously, how do you expect anyone else will? And if you're the CEO of your career as a business person of worth then what goes along with it is that you invest in yourself and and you do take courses and you you even have inquisitive conversations with people i mean sometimes the best learning is taking a risk you know identifying cross functional resources and mm-hmm having a cup of coffee. I mean, you may find out that, you know, they follow the same sports team. They're people. They follow the same sports team. As exactly. She, whatever. Yeah. And so there's just too much still us versus them mindset in this uh, digital uh, and global economy. And, and that perplexes me.
0: Yeah. Well, I think for salespeople, regardless if they come from a technical background or come from, you know, regular sales background, the benchmark for me is you have to spend at least 1% of your compensation every year mm-hmm. investing in your own development. Absolutely. That's with your own money outside what your company is yep. going to invest in at least 1%. yeah. if you're not prepared to do that then as you said you're really not prepared to be serious about being a person of worth.
1: yeah. Uh, i mean the the best investments that i ever made in myself were a while back but they were critical courses that I took. I mean, Deming. Uh, Deming mm-hmm. himself trained me in total quality management. It was one of the last classes that he ever took. He passed, or taught rather, he passed away shortly after it. And um, and it was kind of one of those who knew. Mm-hmm. But as I sat in that course, my brain just completely expanded. And it was like this huge aha moment. And it was like, now I know what I want to do because it's what I already do. It's how I already think. I didn't know there were other people like me out there. And it was one of those things. And unless you experiment and unless you invest and take those risks in yourself, you're never going to find out. You're always going to be labeled by somebody else. Right? Why, why do that to yourself?
0: And those are risks that technical people are thinking about making a transition into mm-hmm. sales or marketing or so on. Really consider, but shouldn't be afraid of because yep. the payoff can be quite substantial. So,
1: absolutely. So, I'm going to
0: pose, pose a hypothetical scenario to you right before we take a break, and then sure. you'll come back, we'll come back and you'll answer this. So, here's the hypothetical scenario I ask all my guests the same question. Uh uh-uh. oh. You're a new sales manager hired into a company whose sales have sort of stagnated and stalled, and upper management has really has a highly developed sense of urgency to make things turn around quickly. So the question is to you, what would you do, what two things would you do in the first week that could have the biggest impact? All right. So stay with us after the break. Babette Tenhaken is going to answer that question and share more of her tips about how to use technical resources to great effect in growing your sales. And specifically we'll talk about how to manage, if you're a sales manager, how to manage technical people in a sales role. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect & Cell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect & Cell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect & Cell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. So, Welcome back. My guest today, Babette Tenhaken. You can catch up with Babette online at Babettenhaken.com. That's B-A-B-E-T-T-E-T-E-N-H-A-K-E-N. Lots of E's in there. I know. .com <laughs> and so let's talk about the scenario I posed, the hypothetical scenario I posed before the break. You're a new manager, brought into a sales manager, brought into a company at one week to really start making a difference. What are the two things you'd do that first week that have the biggest impact?
1: Hmm. Well, what's what's very interesting about it is, is that um, this Friday I actually wrote a post about a little bit about that too. And it has to do with most sales teams aren't a real team at all. So They're usually a homogeneous bunch of people who are hired to sell on behalf of the company. Mm -hmm. So they're just kind of competing against each other and then against the competition. So as a new sales manager, um, hopefully with some prior uh, experience, but even if you aren't.
0: Well, just new to the company, not necessarily a new manager.
1: Oh, and, And that's fine, but actually some of the old ones could use this tip too. Sit everybody down at the table and start to build your team playbook. And that doesn't, and your team playbook goes beyond making your numbers, doing your KPIs and and whatever all that other stuff is, because that's actually post-industrial assembly line mindset. Who are the internal resources on your team and what what do they do best? What are their core capabilities and core competencies? surely everybody seated around the table has one thing that they bring to that table that they do better than anybody else sitting around there and share those resources. So that's number one Mm -hmm. within your team. And number two is who are the other resources in your company that are grossly underutilized or not utilized at all? And chances are those tend to be your trusty sales engineers, or your technical people, or the people in billing, the people in IT, all the other people that are involved in um, handling that handoff of your sales contract for execution. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And so really what you do is you end up giving... Everybody in your team some credibility and they, they get branded and titled as experts in certain things. And then basically what you've done is you've watched your contract through your organization. You've given it legs and you figure out tangentially who's, who does it touch, who's involved, and then identify the best person in each one of those departments to help your sales team. And guess what? All of a sudden you do have a real team and make sure that everybody starts working together from the start of every sale versus when you bring the contract in-house and throw it into the black hole of wherever it goes through processing.
0: Right. No, good answer. I like it. Thank you. So I want to jump into the question I talked about right around the break is that so you're a sales manager, you're a sales leader. hmm Suddenly you've you've got some you know, technically oriented salespeople on your team, how do you how do you manage them differently, perhaps, than just a regular salesperson that might be on your team?
1: Well, I quite honestly, I used to be one of those two. Okay. And and it very, very quickly on, most managers discovered that, oh it's sort of like that life commercial, life serial commercial with Mikey. It's like, oh, that bet likes to talk to these technical people. Um, and what needs to happen, I think, is uh, that doesn't make you special. Mm-hmm. Okay, Everybody's special on the team. Uh, but what you have to do is start to build patience. Because I you do have to understand as a sales manager, I think to have an understanding of everybody's persona on your team, just like you develop personas for your customers, is pretty important. Because what I found is that technical people get it they get it faster than most non-technical people and as a result they become impatient Mm -hmm. with everybody else Uh, and and the repetition and and whatever traditional uh, sales training methods and so making the entire team uh aware of their own personas and how it adds to hopefully the positive synergy of the team, I think, is important. And nurturing technical people, I think, you have to get them to pry their pry their hands uh, off the ledge of pride in their technical capability, while you reinforce the fact that selling is a really difficult uh, uh, discipline to gain mastery of because it's constantly changing just like science. There is a science so to speak of selling. And so I I think that that will get your technically oriented people um, inquisitive and curious about learning how to sell appropriately.
0: Now one of the things that I've experienced that that is perhaps one of the biggest stumbling blocks to keeping technical people, especially those that become good on Mm -hmm. sales teams is that if they become successful at sales usually they were awfully good engineers as well, right? Yeah. And, and what we're talking about when you bring technical people into sales is you're not taking your non-performers in engineering and say, let's go warehouse them in sales because you're <laughs> in sales is an idiot. No, you got to take your best people out yeah. of your technical field and make the investment, put them in the sales, and they'll be successful there. But what I've seen as the problem is that after they're in sales for a little while they start getting nervous that they're not keeping up with what's going on in the technical field, right? That they're afraid <laughs> that they're gonna fall behind. So they they want to go back. Yep. yep. So how do you, how does a manager deal with that?
1: Oh that's a really good a really good scenario because in fact they are. And they are falling, uh falling behind. But I think what's what's really important for the manager and, and even that engineer who sells to understand is the sheer volume of information that uh, shows up in your inbox, I, th- there's a ton of stuff I delete just because I can't get to it. So it's impossible to keep up with everything. And the reality is before they left their IT or engineering discipline, they couldn't keep up with it all of it either. But there are usually some go-to journals or some go-to resources that uh, are compendiums, and and that's where they that's what they need to stick with. But again, if they they're, they're going to come into sales, what are the certifications they need to keep up with? What are the journals or the webinars or the meetings they need to go to? And the rest is kind of I can't say it's un it's unimportant or superfluous. It's just it'll take care of itself. You just can't keep up with all the information. I mean, for that reason too, it's a, it's a, kind of the flip side of it is with sales enablement programs. Mm-hmm. I wish that more people utilized more of the depth and breadth and bandwidth of sales enablement programs, but they don't. Unlike that engineer, salespeople usually latch onto one article and use it for everything for dear life. So they don't take the time to go back and continuously update. And with the engineers, I think that there are forums, there are meetings, there are professional societies, there there are a lot of workshops and webinars. And even to invite them to do lunch and learn or to have them bring in some of their colleagues for a lunch and learn session with your team kind of keeps everybody happy and feels like feel like they have their fingers on the touch point of at least current trends.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's a good point. And there also is a point for people that transition out of technical fields into sales that... <laughs> We have to sort of let it go. You yeah. know, if you're going to stay, if you say, hey, this is the path I'm going be on, I like it either because you know, the money's good, plus I love helping the customers, and I see this as something that's very fulfilling for me, and it's, yeah, I'm on a deadline, but a different type of deadline than if I'm you know designing a new processor or some sort of you know technical product or writing code. That Yeah, I remember one guy that I brought over from electrical engineering into a sales role, where he sat in a meeting finally, and they were talking about a new uh processor design and he finally just said, Yeah, I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I see that a lot in IT because there are um uh IT uh, folks that you know have been in the design and the software area for a while and they're kind of in their in midlife. And in all due respect there is it, that field is changing so rapidly, it's impossible to keep up with. And as a result, they're kind of sinking their teeth into what they know and what, what's what been tried and th- true throughout their career. And so in order to make a transition, they decide to go into sales. But they're selling really difficult stuff. And so it, they're having trouble making that transition too because they still it, being in sales doesn't prevent you from having to Keep up with stuff, but you don't have to be the expert on it. You, you have to know the, what you do have to be expert about is is how to ask questions.
0: Yeah. I mean, you host. have more than enough knowledge to ask the questions. You just don't have to be the designer anymore.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, great. So we're going to move into the last segment of the show, give you some rapid fire questions. I forewarned you about this when we started. Oh, dear. So one word answers suffice, or you can elaborate a little bit if you want. So, are you ready? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. She says reluctantly. So what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Questions. Great. Name one tool you use for sales or sales management that you can't live without. Mind mapping. Who's your sales role model?
1: Oh wow, that's a good one. Actually it was my original mentor, he was a venture capital investor in the pharmaceutical industry.
0: What's the one book that every salesperson should read?
1: Selling to Big Companies by Jill Conrad. It remains my sales bible.
0: Okay, that is a great book. What's your favorite music to listen to, to psych yourself up for an important sales call?
1: That's Mozart.
0: Mozart, ah, any particular piece?
1: Well, a Mozart aria, or some of his masses, and the other one is any Brandenburg concerto by Bach.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you may be the first one that answered classical music. Very, very good. What's the first sales activity you do every day?
1: I uh, actually stretch, believe it or not and I do yoga and I get very focused and I do not check my email, folks. I read something. I educate myself.
0: I do I. I always read first before I Hmm. check emails.
1: Absolutely.
0: What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople?
1: That's, That's a good question. How can you make well? How can you make selling to technical decision makers easier?
0: And what's the answer?
1: I can simplify the process, and it's only as difficult as you decide to make it.
0: That's a great answer, and it's true in general of sales. I mean, <laughs> it's true in general of sales. You know, we've fallen yeah. in love, especially with these sales enabling tools. There's this people are falling in love with the sales process, <laughs> even though most of them still don't have one. But it's not about process. It's about people.
1: It's about artistry. Um, I, I always give this example. Um, I I'm, I'm a, a i was a conservatory trained soprano. I'm a, music, I'm a musician, quite honestly. And I'm a performance artist. And so when you think about it, going in the rock concert, okay, what you're trying to do by listening and asking good questions is create artistry. So it's the energy of the artist coming off the stage, and when mm-hmm. it meets the energy of the audience at that interface, the sales engineering interface, that's where you create your artistry. Uh, when you have equal and open energy that's ex- being exchanged with each other. I think most of the time, as sellers and even as technical people, we just get in our own way versus just being open and curious and inquisitive and innovative about what we do. So go for artistry.
0: And there's nothing wrong with with thinking about a sales call as a performance piece mm-hmm. because Absolutely. you are on stage.
1: Absolutely.
0: And you're you're not sacrificing your authenticity to, you know, be an artist, to be conscious of being on stage, performing even, Mm -hmm. because that brings that energy level up that's so important in engaging with prospects.
1: Well, I think you mentioned also earlier that, you know, have a list of questions that you want to ask. Choreograph uh, your sales call in your mind, but have that list of go-to questions even even if you never get to it, but I know that when I give workshops or when I'm working with customers, whatever, my goal is to get everybody else asking each other those questions I was planning on asking them. When that happens, that's really cool.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: but otherwise, um, they're literally you you know there are usually five answers you must get at the end of every call, and that's your mastery of it. So that you can ebb and flow with the conversation, but you lace in your questions into the conversation, so you make sure you get the answers in a non-obtrusive, but you know, organic manner. Mm -hmm. And and that's mastery. That's the mastery we're trying to work with. You know, you and I work with our customers uh, to try to get them to achieve is that comfort level.
0: Yeah. Well, I like the word you used, artistry. Mm -hmm. I mean, sales sales is a craft. It's an art form. Absolutely. And why it takes so long to perfect. Yep, absolutely. Well, great. Well, thank you for joining me. My guest today has been Babette Tenhaken, author of book, gosh, (laughs) I was blanking for a second there. Do you mean business? Do you mean business? (laughs) Technical, non-technical collaboration, business development, and you and Babette, please tell people where they can find out more about you.
1: You can go to my website at babettetenhaken.com I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter uh, at Babette Tenhagen. And finally, my book is on Amazon.com. And uh, I've got a phone number as well on LinkedIn and an email. So looking forward to hearing from you.
0: Right. And visit my website, andypaul.com uh, slash podcast, and you'll be able to get more information about Babette there as well. And remember, everybody, Appreciate you joining us. Make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your sales and amp up your business. And if you listen to the show today, I trust that we helped you with that. So, until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.